1: The call to confession today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Michigan, most wintertime guests are careful to wipe their feet or even take off their shoes when they come into someone's home. This consideration shows respect and honor, honor to the host for the work that's been done on their behalf to enjoy this type of fellowship. It leaves at the door our dirt, our salt, and our grime, which is una- unavoidably accumulated from, the life the wor- from our life in the world. In the same way, similarly, week after week, when we assemble here to worship God together, our worship begins with a call to confession. We clean off the rubbish which is accumulated— possibly unaware to us, before we come into the presence of our Creator. I would say the difference is that while the Midwestern practice of removing your shoes at the door is proper a proper courtesy, confession of sin commences the pattern of biblical worship which we ought to follow. For some of us, there may be a subtle propensity to be unsettled in our spirits as we come regularly to confess sometimes the same besetting sins. Anger, doubt, selfishness, pride, idolatry, we begin to think that something's amiss since we are confessing the same things often again and again as the Holy Spirit convicts us of them. We may be tempted to think the solution is to set even a higher standard, a moral standard for ourselves and our children, a standard which makes us feel when we press towards this rigid code of law that we are in some way indeed coming to God with measurable success. But we need to be reminded Confession of sin is not eradication of sin. The process will not be complete until we are with him in glory. Confession of sin, rather, is a natural putting off of the foul that continues to infect us as long as we live in the world. Confession of sin is like what has to be done when we breathe in fresh air. When we breathe air, it follows that carbon dioxide must be put out of our body. So we exhale, inhale, Exhale, inhale, exhale, fifteen to twenty times a minute if we're at to normal rest. Having to exhale is not bad. It is the very thing that God provided to ensure that life can be sustained. Exhaling prepares us to inhale the next needed breath of air carrying that oxygen that we need. But they can't be separated from one another. Inhale must be followed by another putting off of that poisonous gas that we can't have accumulate in our body. As we live in Christ, there will be sins that continue to show up. When they do, we must put them off regularly and rhythmically. We put them off by confessing. We agree with God about them. We don't just put them off by setting uber-high standards for ourselves that we can't attain. The striving to achieve a high human benchmark will work us into a nervous doubt. We can only put them off by doing what he tells us to do, confess our sins, put on Christ's righteousness. So we come. We come to worship. But first we exhale. We remove the poison. We put off the dirt. We confess our sins together. Please kneel with your hand.
2: Turn, if you would, in the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, and again, our attention will be drawn to the verses 1 through 16. Here, the word of the Lord. It is read today in your presence. Adam lay with his wife Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits to the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to you, cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, "My punishment is more than I can bear." Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. May the Lord be pleased to bless to us that reading of his holy and his inspired word. Uh, Brothers and sisters, it is uh, nice to see you in church, and boys and girls, it is always nice to see you in church as well. 2 a.m., Friday morning. The phone rings, and I know, I know just because of the time that something is wrong somewhere. My boys, the names of the people that I saw in my office this past week just flashed through my mind, Jim, Sally, Phil, Jane, and by that time my hand has fallen on the receiver and I pick it up and in my 2.30 in the morning voice I say, Hello? Pastor, the voice bellows down the fold in his 12 o'clock noon voice. My wife has left me. A long tale of heartache, bitterness, disappointment follows. Pastor, the bellowing had stopped. And the change in the tone of his voice betrayed the fact that something big was going to come. Pastor, he continued, what's the use of going on? Everything I ever loved, everything I ever cared for, is gone. My life is just meaningless. It's just a big fat zero. It's totally and utterly meaningless. What can I do? Pastor, what can I do? I'll do anything, anything at all. So, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls, how can we help Mike? How can we help you too? If you are in the same or a similar circumstance, do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? Seeing as you're not answering me, I'll give you the good news first. We can help you. We can help Mike, too. We can offer Mike all the help in this world. And because Mike is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can offer him all the help outside of this world. And the scripture tells us, as we have heard this morning, our help is in the name of the Lord. And he is the maker of heaven and earth. Now just think about that, my brothers and sisters. Supernatural help. That is exciting. What a hope for Mike, and for you, too. The bad news. I hope you don't mind, but I tricked you. You see, there really isn't any bad news. How can there be? If we minister to Mike from the Holy Scripture, the Scripture itself is called the good news. It's not called the bad news. Well, meanwhile, Mike is waiting on the other end of the telephone for some answers, Pastor Ian. And if you share with him what you have just shared with us about there being no bad news... He's going to be extremely annoyed at you. And if he didn't already think so by this time, he's going to hang up the phone thinking that he was the victim of a cruel joke. So just exactly, do we help Mike make meaning out of his meaningless life? Well, the only way to answer that question is to turn to him of whom the scripture says that it is in him we live and move and have our being. Yes, brothers and sisters, to the scriptures. To see what the Lord God has to say about Mike and his meaningless life. And that is precisely why we read Genesis 4 together. Because it's in Genesis 4 that we see how the seeds of meaninglessness in the life of Cain were planted. And that have come to fruition in the life of Mike. And so by examining Cain and his parents to be sure. We shall see the origin of meaninglessness. And we'll see the way that it begins to present itself in the way that Cain thinks. And then the way that it manifests itself in the way that Cain lives his life. And we shall find, we shall find the same themes that are present in Cain are also present in Mike. The origin of meaninglessness. The story of Adam and Eve and their disobedience to the Lord God, that precedes the Cain and Abel story in the Bible. But in order for us to understand Genesis 4, we need to understand Genesis 3. So the third chapter of Genesis tells us that it was Adam, it was he who broke covenant with the Lord God and he did so through disobedience. Had Adam not sinned, he would have been able to live life with God and to live life to the full. He would have remained in union and communion with the true and the living God. You see, God was for Adam when he came from the hand of God at creation. God was the center of life. Everything that Adam thought about, everything that Adam did, It was done, first of all, with the Lord God in mind. There was no area of Adam's life that did not find significance and meaning in God. There was no circumstance that could ever arise in his life that was beyond him ever making sense of. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing was left up to chance. Not only that, There was nothing about Adam that he couldn't define. And if there were a difficulty that he came across, he could go to the Lord God himself and the Lord God himself would teach Adam. So this relationship that Adam had with the Lord, it was the basis of his existence. It gave him meaning. It was, however, not only that, as if Adam had a basis for existence, but nothing else, as though he didn't know how to live out his life before the Lord God. No, no, not at all. This relationship was not only the basis for meaningful existence, but it also guided and it informed every aspect of life in the covenant. And so we can say of Adam, can't we, that his life in union and communion with God, his life exuded meaningfulness. Adam walked and talked with God in the garden. But alas, there was the introduction of sin into the created order at the hand of Adam and Eve. That put an end, an end to all of that. The wages of sin is death and immediately the effects of sin become present. Now Adam no longer walks and talks with God in the cool of the day. No longer is every thought and action done, first of all, with God in mind. Instead, life is now lived in antithesis, in exact opposite to God. Listen. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. That has nothing to do with nudity. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Right here, right here, We have the beginnings of life outside of covenant with God. Adam lives, but he lives in his transgression and sin. Adam's life begins to exude total meaninglessness. Adam's life, if you will, is utterly frustrated. The Lord God, from Adam's perspective, no longer remains the center of his existence But that in no way actually changes the truth and the fact of reality. That the Lord God never ever ceases to be the center of covenant life. Whether you or Cain or Mike perceives it or not. God. He is the creator and he is the sustainer of life. It is in him. That we live and move and have our being. It is he who speaks and brings that which was not into being. It is this God. The Lord God who sovereignly spoke into a world now of sin and death and darkness and meaninglessness. He spoke independently of Adam's perception. And by that word, my brothers and sisters, he brought life out of death. Because where sin is, grace much more abounds. Do you believe that? It's the word of God alone, my brothers and sisters, that dispels death and darkness from the heart of the sinner and replaces it with light and with life. God spoke. And he gave a promise by which his people throughout all generations have organized their lives in terms of. And it's this promise that restores, it gives meaning, it gives light and life and hope to the lives of Adam and Eve and the birth of their son. This is the promise. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. It is the gospel. So the Lord God speaks. He does so in sovereign majesty and in condescending kindness and mercy. And he asserts his control. He brings meaning to the worst of all possible situations. Certain death and eternal separation from God. Condemnation. Brothers and sisters, however, however tempted we might be to believe that the situation in the garden got away from God. And that somehow his hand was forced into making a good situation out of a bad situation. And neither must we be tempted to believe that because he is in control that he is responsible for sin and meaninglessness. No, we must be absolutely clear on this point. And so we affirm the canons of Dort that speaks to this matter. To be sure. There is much that we do not know, but the Lord never asks us to live by what we don't know. The Lord never asks us to live by deductions from his word. The Lord always asks us to live as by to live by what he has revealed. And what we know, is that God is not the author of sin and neither can he be charged with the sin that occurs. For his power and his goodness are so great and incomprehensible, now just listen to this, that he does his work very well and justly even when the devil and wicked men have their way. Simply brothers and sisters, Death, moral decay, and meaninglessness exist in your thinking when the covenant law no longer remains the center of your life. Cain, he thought that he could do whatever he wanted to do and that it would be just fine. So when it came time for Cain to bring an offering to the Lord for his goodness, unlike his brother who brought the Lord God the first fruits of his labors, Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Abel's offering was accepted, but Cain's offering was rejected. Why? Well, the difference lies not in that one was a farmer and that one was a shepherd, or that Abel's offering was blood and Cain was not. No. In other words, not in the kind of offering that each brought to the Lord God. The difference is to be found in the manner in which the offerings were presented to the Lord God. It's an attitude. It's a posture of the heart that is the key to understanding God's rejection of Cain's sacrifice. The physical presentation of the sacrifice in that it was just the fruits Represented the spiritual condition of the worshiper. Abel's giving of the first fruits was pleasing to God because of the posture of his heart. He was testifying that life was first of all to be found in God alone. That is, that the Lord God for Abel was the center of covenant life, and everything that he had comes from the Almighty's hand. The Lord God met Cain's sacrifice with rejection. In turn, Cain, he met rejection with anger. But Cain's anger is not to be found in any failure on his part, no. Or out of any kind of remorse, for not giving the Lord the glory that was due his holy name. His anger was simply a reaction to a loss of position and the loss of playing God. God having rejected Cain's sacrifice, Cain now had the audacity to go toe-to-toe with the Almighty. The creature here was facing off against the Creator and Cain... He is faced squarely with the fact that he is not God and that he cannot do what he wants to do in God's world. Cain, like his father before him, desired to be his God. He desired to be the center of the universe, the all controller, the manipulator of his environment. And he did his best, brothers and sisters, at planning and scheming to get things on his own terms and to establish his own little kingdom over which he could be his own little God. He thought, he thought that by going to the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, with a sacrifice, that he could at least keep God off his back. After all, he says, well, I'm not going to be like Abel. I'm not going to give everything to God. I'm just going to go through the motions on a daily basis. That way, I'll be happy. And I'll keep God off my back. I can have my cake and eat it too. Meanwhile, Mike was on the telephone. He was telling me his history of heartache. And as he talked, I began to get a fuller picture of the marriage. Mike, he was, a, he was a respected man in the Christian community. He was on the board of directors of the local Christian school And he sat on the board of one of the well known Bible believing churches in the area. And when it came to tithing, he was the biggest and the best. He was a man that was so clean in every respect that when he walked, he squeaked. When he and his wife came together for our weekly counseling meetings, well, he didn't see any reason to be there. No, no. No, Pastor Ian. And so when he spoke softly and smoothly, he smiled disarmingly so, calm, very poised. And when he did speak, he said, Well, Pastor Ian, my wife insisted on counseling. So I came along, but she's the one with the problem. In previous counseling sessions with Mike and his wife, you could just sense the underlying hopelessness. What's the use of going on? But every time I inquired... As to what was taking place in the marriage and made some initial inroads, well, nothing would stick. The marriage was just deflon. On the outside of the marriage, spotless. Perfect. But in fact, it was bursting at the seams. It was dying and it was just a matter of time before the marriage blew. I knew it. But I couldn't penetrate the surface. But now, but now with this phone call, the doors had been blown wide open. And the blueprint of the marriage was clear. The Lord Jesus was nowhere to be found. Contrary to all the spoken language, Mike was at the center Mike was the master controller. Oh, and he was so prof- prof- excuse me he was so proficient at control that when it came to confronting about situations that God clearly said were contrary to His word, in the presence of two or three witnesses, Mike would redefine the situation and the whole environment so completely that it ended up that what God said was a lie, and that Mike was right. In his hands, the truth became a lie. He had set up his own little kingdom. He had devised all the rules which everybody, including the children in the home, had to function by. He told his wife what to say and what not to say, what to do and what not to do. She had to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Mike. He was the king of the castle and you're the dirty rascal. If she were to question him, well, that was tantamount to outright rebellion. Mike would say, how can you say those things and question me? Look, I'm a respected man in the Christian community... So do you see, brothers and sisters, the themes that are present in Mike are the themes that are present in Cain. Like Cain, he thought that he could live with himself at the center of the world. Like Cain, he thought he could be his own little God and lay down his own little rules. Like Cain, he thought that he could keep God off his back by doing in a formal way the right things. And like Cain, who thought that he could control God, Mike thought that he could control his wife. And when he found out that he couldn't, She left. He became angry. It's the covenant breaker man. It's king. It's mine. They demand absolute submission from you in every area of your life. But pastor, you say, Pastor Ian... That's all very fine and dandy, but you obviously weren't listening to what Mike said to you on the telephone. If you'll remember, Pastor Ian, he said to you at the end of the phone conversation that he would do anything, that he would do anything at all. I heard him. And when I hear that, As pious as it might sound, it betrays the motive of his heart and it it sends a shiver down the spine because I know the covenant breaker man and I know he will do anything, anything at all to get what he wants. So I asked Mike, Will you do anything, anything at all? Oh, yes, Pastor Ian. Would you kill? Cain did. Really, Pastor Ian? That's ridiculous. Brothers and sisters, when you think of the Cain and Abel story... The first thing that probably comes to your mind is that Cain murdered Abel. And you are correct in your thinking. It was the murder of Abel by Cain. It was death that characterized Cain's lifestyle. A lifestyle apart from God. It was death that characterized Mike's lifestyle. He shot his wife. We saw in Genesis chapter 3 how the seeds of this murderous act were sown, how sin was introduced into God's good creation by the hand of Adam and Eve, and how sin immediately manifested itself in the thinking of the covenant breaker in a way that was diametrically opposed to God. Adam knew that he was naked. Then we proceeded to examine how Cain was beginning to think. We saw how programmatic sin was in search of absolute dominion. How sin systematically works itself out in the building of a kingdom. The kingdom not of God but of man. A kingdom that is contrary to the will of God in every respect. Cain's the king of the castle. And he thought by placing himself in the position... That the Lord God alone has the right to occupy. That he had the right to determine what was true and what was false. So now we shall see this thinking. It translates into action. What kind of lifestyle? After the confrontation that Cain had with God. When God rejected his sacrifice. God spoke to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to master you. The following verse testifies that Cain refused to do what was right and to be accepted before God. He stood condemned. And instead of doing what was right in God's eyes, Cain chose to do what was right in his own eyes. He still refused to repent and to give the Lord his rightful place in his life. He still thought that he could do things the way he wanted to and be king of the castle. Cain is the kind of guy that always has an answer. And whatever it was that brought before him, he said it wasn't so. He continued to refuse to believe that the curse that the Lord God had given his father in the garden was true. That curse literally reads, dying you shall die. Cain was dying, but he refused to accept that that was the case. And above all, he was determined in his heart not to do that which was right. That would be to let God get the better of him. He would lose everything. He was going to take charge and remedy this bad situation once and for all. He was going to kill his brother Abel. Why speak to me, God? After all, if Abel hadn't have given you that sacrifice, you wouldn't have been on my back about my sacrifice. So this conversation with Mike is drawing to a close. If my wife had not left home, Pastor and if she had not done, if she had done what I told her to do, then none of this would ever have happened. She would have been home and everything would have just been fine. And when she comes home, I'm gonna to have to speak to her. Oh, oh, you know that I really love her, Pastor Cain killed Abel. Mike shot his wife on a deer hunting trip. And after shooting his wife and been incarcerated still for 25 years, Mike cries out, like Cain, to God. Punishment is more than I can bear. So why does Mike cry out like that? Simply, Mike's punishment is more than I can bear because he, like Cain, being God, thought that any punishment was too much. There's no need for repentance in my life because I have committed no sin. Therefore, any punishment is too great. So Mike, rather than doing right and being accepted like Adam, when he was confronted with the word of the Lord, he was fearful. He ran, he hid, he covered, he blame shifted. Oh, how modern that sounds. Mike, like the city that Cain built, walled himself in. He's placed himself in the land of Nod, which means the land of wandering and banishment. His life is characterized by fear and wandering, but at the same time that he laments his circumstances, he is decidedly not willing to listen to the word of the Lord and repent and do what is required to be accepted. So, brothers and sisters, we have arrived back at the place. What can we do for Mike, and what can we do for you? The Lord does not ask you to do anything, anything at all. But the Lord does ask you to do something, and he asks you to repent, to turn from your idols and to turn to God in repentance. Brothers and sisters, when Cain faced the Lord and his word, Cain was placed in a crisis situation. Whenever you hear the word of the Lord, you are in a crisis situation. You are in a crisis situation this morning. When the word of the Lord is preached, it is sharper than a two-edged sword even to the marrow. It divides, it sifts. The question that faces you this morning, brothers and sisters, is on what side of that judgment you will be found. If you receive the word of the Lord in faith and you turn away from your idols and turn to God in repentance, then you will have life and you will have life to the full. But if through the preaching of the word you reject that preaching then the gates of the kingdom of heaven are closed. There is no hope for you. You live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Shall we pray? Merciful God and Father in heaven, we ask, O Lord, for the gift of repentance in our lives. For we understand, although things may not be as bad as they were for Cain or for Mike in our own lives, we certainly see that we run, we hide, we cover, and we blame shift. But we are heartily grateful, O Lord, for your condescending kindness and your mercy to us. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would hear our prayer as you have told us to.
1: notes. But he uh, read from uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of spirit and soul, and the joints of marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no hidden and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is a two-edged sword that divides joints and marrow, and that's just what's happened here. The preaching of the Word has been dividing our souls and spirit and exposing the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Our worship, however, doesn't end with this, and we're not left with gaping holes which is where the Word has exposed our lives. However, God has cut us into pieces by, by His Word but he will rejoin us. He's rejoining us here at this table. The word is a sword, but is also spirit and life. The same word that divides joints and marrow is the instrument of the spirit that raises up dry bones from the valley. And the breath of God that joins bone and marrow together, joint to joint and bone to bone, and raises an army of His people. The word kills, and He also makes it alive, makes us alive, and He prepares us to be able to share at this table through Christ. So come, welcome to the table of Christ.
0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.